This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from July 17th, 2022. I have to tell you, the last couple weeks has been really hard not being able to be at church on Sundays, but man, we had some really good preachers. Well, I hope you enjoy my first sermon back, and I hope you enjoy it. God bless. We don't have playground this morning. Kids. I want you to hear this message. We are reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? Well, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of, now here's the part that's scary, robbers. And then they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away leaving him half dead on the side of the road. That's what it should have said, but you know. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he walked right past him on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, which for those of you that don't know, is a person that was born in a group of people that was elevated just by who they were. And they were usually made priests. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on by the other side as well. But a Samaritan, now see Samaritans, for those of you that don't know, especially you young ones, these are people that the Jewish culture didn't necessarily like. They didn't really have any reasons. They just didn't like them because they did things different than the way they knew it. And while they were traveling, he saw him, and he, when he saw him, he was moved with pity. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds and then poured oil and wine on them. Now, you're probably asking, why wine? That's just to clean off his wounds. You know, like when our parents pour rubbing alcohol in our wound, and it burns really bad, it's that idea. And then he put him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which was a lot of money at that time, and he gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever you have spent. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. Well, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. This is a passage of scripture that is hard to preach. Let me rephrase that. 
It's easy to preach. It's hard to live. We talk about it. We live this good game that we call Christian life. But we don't necessarily what it means to go and do likewise. Paul usually gives us five questions that kind of have a dialogue between us and his scripture. He usually starts off with what everybody asks, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now watch this, kids. Adults, could you please repeat John 3.16 for me? For God so loved... You see, the Gospel of John tells us this is how we inherit everlasting life or eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about the law. The second question that everybody asks is, well, what's written in the law? In the Hebrew Bible, which you all talk about as the Old Testament, in the first five books of that we have it's what's called the Torah. That's their law. And if we really want to get specific, Leviticus and Deuteronomy are where all the rules are. You want to guess how many rules there are? 613 rules and regulations over a period of time. That's above the 10, by the way. Some would argue, well, the 613 are based off of the 10. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it's really just saying, you really have to be nice to people, and this is why. But the truth is, the 613 commandments are the law. And Jesus does this really crazy thing there. He says, well, what's written in the law? He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Right? All of this, and it's, it's a bigger passage than what's actually in the Hebrew Bible. But the lawyer says that, and I want to give the lawyers a little bit of a break here. Because it's not really a lawyer. This is just what Luke calls them. The truth is, is they're probably Sadducees, which kind of interpret law. But they're not really lawyers, okay? So we got to give them a little bit of a break in this moment. So when he asks him, his interpretation is, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul. And as, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Good. I'm glad the adults are paying attention. And then he says, well, what do you read there? And he says, well, you know, you got to do the right thing at all the right times and blah, blah, blah. Just like we would always say. When I was in youth ministry and Christian education, my favorite two answers that kids would ask, it could be for anything. Like, why can't we have ice cream uh, at, at, at supper? And they would say, say, well, because it's in the Bible. And I'd look at them and I'd like, what? And then I'd say, why are you not supposed to hit your brother or sister? And they'd say, because it's in the Bible. Uh, okay, well, who said that? Jesus. Okay, yeah, he does say that. So, you know, there's this moment where you have these Jesus and the Bible answers all the time. But in this moment, this Sadducee is saying, well, it says in the Bible, these are the things you're supposed to do. And then Jesus says, well, who's my neighbor? Well, the Sadducee says, who's my neighbor? 
And then Jesus tells them this great story. This is how we know Jesus spoke it. He always speaks in parables. This is a big story, gang. I don't care if you're young. I don't care if you're middle-aged. I don't care if you're seasoned. This is an important story that somehow we forget. The story isn't necessarily about the fact that there was this Samaritan that was really nice and took care of somebody. It was the fact that people of faith walked past somebody that was hurting on the side of the road. They walked past them and didn't pay attention to them at all. And then somebody who should not have done it takes pity upon somebody that is hurting and suffering and does exactly what the laws that they grew, that the priest and the Levite had grown up with should have done and then somebody, a stranger, comes and does it without knowing the 613 commandments. They just did the right thing at the right time. Jesus is telling this parable because he's kind of slamming the tradition. He's not slamming the law. He's not saying what's in the Torah is wrong. He's saying the way that we have lived it has been wrong. The Torah was designed specifically to help you understand to live a godly life. And these leaders have chosen not to. And a stranger who knows nothing about them lives it out better than them. Now, I know there are several people that watch our worship service online and don't necessarily know everything about the Christian church, disciples of Christ, and even some of us in our pews here don't necessarily know how the structure works or how it theoretically worked. But I want to tell you a little bit of a story that happened to me this last weekend. When I was growing up, there was a camp that I went to called Texoma Christian Camp. It's on Lake Texoma. It was right next to uh, this moment, this place. And the way that this worked was we had churches from District 10. That's back when we had districts. Back in 1950, came up with this plan that we needed to, to design a place that children could go to experience the presence of God away from the busyness of the place that they lived. A sanctuary, if you will. Back when I was growing up, there were 10 to 12 churches still in District 10. In 1950, there were several churches, probably 15 to 20 congregations that rallied together to buy this property and to create camps for children to learn about God and Jesus and then to go from that place and do likewise. It was kind of amazing. Now fast forward to today. I'm at this camp facility and I'm, I'm all excited about the presence of the place and all of this stuff. And right as you pull into the, the camp, there's this concrete slab and it starts off with Dory, Dorothy and David Blackman. 1952, Texoma Christian Camp. Dorothy, I knew her as Betty Bob Blackman. 
She was my very first voice teacher. And David Blackman was her husband, and they were noticed that they have both of their names on there. It said a lot about their life. David always lifted her up, and she had her things that she was called to do, and he had his things that they were called to do. And when we participated in this, it was so cool because all of these churches went together to buy this facility, and Betty Bob would do anything to make sure that we went to camp. And I'm sitting in this audience of teenagers. Now, you remember, I was kind of a dum-dum when I was in high school. I didn't make good choices. But I learned about how to make better choices at this Texoma Christian camp. And I'm looking out at this group of 45 young people, and they were all excited about it. And I realized that out of all of those 45, the 10 to 15 congregations that were there when I was growing up have ceased to exist. Even my own home church, McAllister Christian Church, is gone. First Christian Church of Ada, the Church of Haleyville and Hartshorn, gone. The churches that we had in Durant is they're holding on by the basis of their by their grit. <laughs> Ardmore was still there. Sulphur was still there. But all the rest of them have moved on and have gone away. And the funny thing to me that was weird to me was this. There's this place that somehow has survived in spite of the congregations that built it so that young people could experience the presence of God. You see, that tradition of teaching young people about their faith was important to the Jewish culture in the first century. To live by the words of God, by the, by the law, meant that you were taking care of of your neighbor. Widows and orphans would never go without food or shelter. So in the same way that I was brought up in this tradition, I was challenged. And then I was mad. Trying not to get on a soapbox this morning, but then I got angry. How is this possible that these congregations are gone. These groups of people that I loved are no longer. Well, they died. That's part of it. But there's this weird conversation that takes place in this conversation between Jesus and the lawyer that's de designed between theological correctness and active compassion. These churches have aged away, but the passion, the love, and, and, and energy has not. You know, I ask myself this because there's something powerful about tradition. There's something awesome about being able to worship in a place that we've known our entire lives, from birth until death. It's awesome to be able to walk into some place and recognize that as you're dedicating small children, that we may be doing their funeral in the future. And I weep for those that go someplace and they feel anonymous. That it's okay to mix in with the groups and not feel the presence of God in the community 
and the active compassion that is in our hearts and minds and exhibited by doing what we can to the best of our abilities. On one hand, the, the Sadducee, is very, his very title suggests that he's an expert in the Torah, and being theologically correct is a high priority for this person. They were the keepers of the truth, keepers of the tradition, the ones who keep the rest of us on track, and they have a valuable place in religious communities. But young people, middle-aged people, and seasoned people, sometimes we can be focused in on getting it right to a point that we forget the message. Sometimes it's being theologically correct versus the human compassion and involvement. It's easy for us to sit here and be a part of something but not actually have to go and do anything. The truth tends to come down on the side of being right rather than being compassionate. If theology and compassion are ever at odds, here's how you know. I'm sorry, ma'am or sir, but that's just the law. That's the rules. The phrase that we always try to avoid is, well, that's just the way we've always done it. I can't bend or break that. Church, the focus that we're going to have this next year is this question. What about compassion? Are there occasions in our life when we are faced with a dilemma of being so right it's sacrosanct that being traditional is only important either by playing it by the book or acting out of compassion. Do we do the things that we do because God moves us to do it or because we've always done it? This is hard, even when it violates our own sense of theological correctness. The part I want you all to catch from this is the story of the Good Samaritan seems to move us in this direction. It seems to address the tension between correctness and compassion. Our struggle is going to be as human beings, not members of Perry First Christian Church, but as Christians in the days to come in the future, as in right now is the understanding of how do we take care of our widows, our orphans, our families, in a way that teaches, preaches, and guides us in our faith from birth until death. In such a way that no one is anonymous here. That everyone is loved. And that everyone, let's be honest, comes a little bit broken. And we find uh, each other on the side of the road. And maybe... Maybe the sanctuary becomes the inn, right? Where we all come to heal. Maybe, maybe just maybe, you can hear Jesus looking up at us when we're 
shaking our fists or pointing our fingers or typing along on the screens, saying, hey, you remember that Good Samaritan story? Who's right? And when you figured out that you're wrong, let us follow in the footsteps of the Good Samaritan and do likewise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Spirit in despair.